Hello, welcome to the Sermons Podcast of Horizon Church in Allentown, Pennsylvania. We want to help people connect with God and connect with each other. If you'd like to know more about us, you can go to our website at horizonconnect.org. Enjoy. Wherever we're sitting, whatever living room, whatever house, whatever car, wherever we're sitting and watching, you're present with us, and I'm grateful. God, this whole experience has been so unique, being scattered as a church, and it's such a good reminder that your church really is scattered all over the world. Your entire church doesn't ever meet in a single building on a Sunday, but that your church is scattered everywhere. And God, we're grateful, all of us are, that we can count on your presence wherever we are. So God, I pray that when we talk about Scripture and when we talk about a father from Scripture, I pray that we can trust that what we read from the Bible is accurate and true. In that regard, God, I pray that if, if in any way I get off track, talk about something that isn't correct or true, I pray, God, that you would protect all of us from being influenced the wrong way. On the other hand, God, I thank you that you take truth. You do this all the time. You take truth. You invade our minds, our bodies, our souls, and you transform us into the people that you want us to be, And it turns out this is the people we want to be as well. So I pray that you'll transform us this morning. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I think that the most famous story that Jesus ever told uh, is a story that starts with this sentence. There was a man who had two sons. I have two sons. What do you call a man who has two sons? No, this is not a trick question. What do you call a man who has two sons? You call him a father. And I am a father. And I have two sons. I also have a daughter. I have a son-in-law. And I have a daughter-in-law. And none of them live in my home anymore, but I will always be a father. My first two children, a boy and a girl, came into the world within seconds of each other on February 9th, 1988. And since that moment in that hospital, I have never heard this story about a father in quite the same way. That moment changed this story for me. Because everybody knows, every father knows that there is nothing in life that will ever bring you more joy than your children, right? But we also know that there's nothing in life that will ever bring you more heartbreak than your children, right? I actually wonder if that's why Jesus told this story about a father who has two sons. Because it's a story about joy and heartbreak of the most serious kind. I actually wish that I could sit here and let Jesus tell this story the way he told it the first time about a man who had two sons. But I'm going to have to read it, and that will have to do. But I trust that the Spirit of Jesus will be here speaking as we read this story about a man who had two sons. From Luke chapter 15, starting at verse 11. This is actually of a series of stories that Jesus told in Luke chapter 15, and it goes this way. There was a man who had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my 
estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, his younger son packed all of his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted his money in wild living. About that time, his money ran out, and a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into the field to feed the pigs. The younger man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am, dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called the son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming, filled with love and compassion. He ran to his son and embraced him and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's found. So the party began. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants, what's going on? Your brother is back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry, and he wouldn't go in. So his father came out and he begged him, but he replied, all these years I have slaved for you. Never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. When this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, Look, dear son, you've always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. Now, I have to tell you, this is not a story that Jesus told to give some lessons on parenting. It's not even a story that is supposed to give us a picture of a good father. It's a story that Jesus told because he's telling us a story about the heart of God, our Father. And Jesus was telling this story because there's growing conflict about his friends. And don't let anybody ever kid you about this. Don't let everybody... Don't let anybody ever change your mind. This is a story Jesus is telling about his friends. The very beginning of chapter 15, if you still got your Bibles open, in the first two verses, 
uh, there's a little indication about what's going on. It says that the religious leaders were upset about the people with whom Jesus was choosing to associate. And they're actually labeled in the first two verses. They're labeled tax collectors and notorious sinners. And the religious leaders are complaining that Jesus is choosing to associate with such people. And they say this of Jesus, he is actually eating with them. And you can read any good Bible translation you want. You can read any good Bible scholars you want. They will all tell you that in the ancient world, eating with someone means acceptance. That's what it means. In other words, Jesus actually liked these tax collectors and notorious sinners. He liked them, period. You can like a person and not like what they do, but do not let anyone ever steer you away from this single truth. These were people Jesus he liked them. They were not just targets for his evangelism and discipleship recruitment campaign. He liked them. Now, to answer that criticism, that complaint about the people he was associating with, Jesus chose to tell three stories, three in a row about things that got lost. This final story about two lost boys pulls all three of those stories together. Jesus chooses to tell a story about a father who has two sons, and both of those sons are lost. So what I want to do is I want to tell you a little bit about how a father hears this story about a father. So as a father, the first thing I notice is that the father actually lets his youngest son go. Now, we all know how hard it is to play what if with some of the parables of Jesus. But let's just play what if for a minute. I would imagine that this father actually had other choices. He didn't just have to let his son go. He probably could have done something else. I can actually imagine this father talking with his hunting buddies about his son up at the hunting cabin the night before deer season starts. And I can imagine that this father is heartbroken, that he is explaining to his hunting buddies that his youngest son wants him to divide, divide up the family property, and the youngest son wants his share now because he wants to leave. And I would imagine most of the hunting buddies would say exactly what I would say. We are not going to do it, right? Don't be a fool. If he wants to leave, let him leave on his own but you're not going to give him money to do it, are you? I suppose the father had other choices. I suppose he did not have to give his son the keys to the chariot, but he does. And I actually think I know why he does. By the time we're done with this story, we'll discover that there is another son who actually never ran away from home. He's been the good son. Stayed home, did exactly what his father told him to do. Unfortunately, by the time we're done with this story, we will know that that older son does not think of himself as a son. 
he thinks of himself as a slave. Deep down, that's what he thinks. All these years, I have slaved for you, he says. All these years, I have been your slave. So my guess is the father knows that to be in your house doesn't necessarily mean to be a son. To be at home doesn't mean to be found. So, he lets his son go. Actually, both of them he lets go. Because the father knows deep down that to be at home doesn't mean to be a son. To be in your house doesn't mean to be found. There's a great couple of verses in Romans chapter 1 where the Bible talks about what God our Father does when we want to leave home. When we want to leave our Father, when we reject God, when we reject His ways. And three times in Romans chapter 1, the Bible talks about the fact how when we reject God, the Bible says, and God lets us go. Three times it says that. And God lets us go. I think if we could be 100% honest with each other, when I look backwards at my life, there are times that I wish God would not have let me go. I wish there were times when I was getting in a car to go somewhere that I should not have been going. I wish that God maybe would have caused a dead battery. I wish that there were times when I was walking up to a house to meet with somebody that I should not be meeting with that maybe God would have caused my parents to drive by. But that's looking backwards. At the time, I know what I would have done. I would have just jump-started the battery, or I would have gone on another day. Because to be honest, I already knew I was wrong. And so did you. But we did it anyway. God gave me a conscience, and he gave you a conscience as well. We're just very good at turning our conscience off. So God has way too much respect for us as creatures who are made in his image to force us to do anything. He doesn't force us to stay at home. Because to be at home doesn't necessarily mean to be a son. So in his grace, in his grace, God lets us go. And as a father, can you imagine any more painful moment than that moment when the father watches his son throw a backpack over his shoulder, wave goodbye, and walk out the door? Because the father knows where this story is going to end. And he lets his son go anyway. And as a father, I'm pretty sure that if we were listening in when the door closed behind the son, we'd probably hear the father sobbing on the other side of the door. Because it just breaks a father's heart to watch your kids leave and reject you. I wonder if that's why Jesus told this story about a father who had two sons. Now as a father, the next thing I notice is that when the son is gone, what the father does is he waits. 
And I think this is a special kind of waiting, isn't it? I'm sure that every parent and every grandparent knows. You all know what you do when your kids have rejected you and they've left. You all know. I cannot close my eyes to pray without thinking of my children. And every parent knows that. You cannot close your eyes to pray without thinking of your children. Your children are in every prayer, aren't they? And when your phone rings or when your phone dings and it's a text and you see your child's name in there, there's a special kind of joy, isn't there, in knowing I'm going to get to talk to my kids. And when they've wandered and when they've strayed away and you don't know where they are day after day after day, there is a special kind of pain in waiting. No parent, no father just waits. While we wait, we pray. I wonder if those of you who are children and not yet parents, I wonder if you know that there are human beings out there whose thoughts are always directed to you. I wonder if you know there are human beings out there who pray for you every single time they close their eyes to pray. I wonder if that's why Jesus told a story about a father who had two sons. Now, there's another thing I noticed about the father's waiting. While he is waiting, he's actually watching for even the slightest sign that the son is coming home. I think there's something you have to know about the world in which Jesus is telling this story. This is a farming family, this father with two boys. This is a farming story. And we actually know that for several reasons. One of the ways we know that is we eventually are told that the oldest son is out in the fields working. The problem is that we get a little bit misled because we think about farming in our world rather than farming in their world. And they're actually very two different things. In our world, farmers live out in the country by their fields. There's a farmhouse and there's a barn out where the fields are. That's not the way it was in their world. In the ancient world, everybody tended to live in villages and the fields were outside of the villages. And almost all of those villages were walled villages. They would have a wall around them and the people would live jam-packed inside the walls and the fields would be outside the walls. Now today, these ancient cities and villages are just mounds and these mounds are called tells, T-E-L-S. This is tell the quiche you're looking at. The word tell simply means mound or a small hill. And they're there because these mounds are simply thousands of years of accumulated cities that were destroyed and rebuilt and destroyed and rebuilt over and over. And they always chose to build a new city on top of the old one so that the new city, the new village would actually be higher 
the ground in the surrounding area. And that means you could be up on the wall of your village and you could see the whole area around you for You'd always be able to know when an enemy was far, far off. So you could sound the alarm. So everybody who was out in the fields working would hear the alarm and they could run for the protection of the walls of the village. Now, tells like this, those mounds are littered all over ancient Israel. Most of them have not been excavated. But to picture this story, you need to be able to picture a village built on top of one of those mounds. You need to be able to picture walls around the top of that mound. And of course, these walls were built so that you could actually walk on top of the walls. The city would be inside with gates. The fields would be outside surrounding the village. And to understand this story, you need to picture a father who was living inside the walled village and he is waiting every day for his son to come home. His older son is outside of the village working in the fields. It was a really fascinating part of this story, the way Jesus told it. The way Jesus tells the story, he said, one day the young son sitting in a pig farm decides that he wants to go home, that he would be better off at home. So he starts his long walk home. And Jesus said this in telling this story. While the son was still a long way off, the father saw his son coming home. So you need to understand the story. To understand it, you need to picture a wall around that ancient city. And on that wall, you need to picture a single figure who is there day after day after day after day, checking the roads in every direction. And every other person in that village is shaking their heads and they are wondering, when will that father give it up and stop hoping and go home? But he's a father and he never will, will he? So every day, he's a father who is waiting and praying and watching. And one day, Jesus says, a long, long way away, the father sees a son. And he knows the boy's walk. And he picked up his robes from around his ankles, and he ran, and he ran, and he ran. The father ran to meet his son. And as a father, I notice the father's run to his son. That's what I would do. And you would too. Anyway, as Jesus tells this story, as a father, I notice that the son has a speech of shame memorized. The son is planning to confess to his dad. He will say, I'm no longer worthy of being your son. Take me back as a servant. Because the boy feels his shame. And the boy knows that when he gets into the village, he knows that every single person in, this, in that village is going to be aware of his shame. And so he says, I'm no longer worthy of being your son. Take me back as a servant. And as a father, I notice what the father does. Before the son even utters a single word, the father has collided into his son 
on the road and he embraces him and he kisses him. And it's fascinating to me that in the language that Jesus is telling this story, those two words, embrace and kiss, are not words that just happen once. They are continuous action verbs, which means the dad does not stop embracing. The dad does not stop kissing. So this is not a Pennsylvania Dutch father and son meeting with a nice little handshake. This is a dad who was so overjoyed, he could not stop embracing his son and he could not stop kissing his son. Sometimes my daughter hugs me like that. She just grabs me and she won't let go. There are not many joys in life like a hug when someone does not want to let go. And this father does not want to let go. I wonder if that's why Jesus told about a father who had two sons. Then, of course, as a father, I notice that dad throws a welcome home party. You know, it's a welcome home party that I remember from a long time ago. My uncle was coming home from Vietnam. I was pretty young. But I remember the welcome home party we had for my uncle. I remember there were banners all over the yard outside of our house, actually not very far from here on the corner of St. Lucas and Tillman Street. I remember the welcome home banners. I remember that kind of a welcome home party that I know some of you can identify with because it was the end of several years of anxious waiting. And every day you pray that your son or your daughter will come home. You follow the news of battles. You follow the progress of a war. You know your son or your daughter is there. And while you're absolutely proud of his or her service, all that you want is for him to come home. And so when he does, you hang the banners. You put the folding tables in the yard. You scatter lawn chairs all around. Somebody hammers in stakes for horseshoes. You put up the volleyball net. There are tables of watermelon and tables full of picnic food. And people gather. And then finally, the car pulls up. And the door opens. And it's him. And you clap. And you yell. And people driving by honk their horns. And there is pride. There is and there are tears, and every single person there is overjoyed that at long last he is home. This is not that kind of a party. I actually wonder who came to this party. I can promise you it's not the same kind of a party. We already know how people are feeling about boys like this. The religious leaders have already said, why do you hang out with people like that? Jesus puts the people's reaction into the voice of the older son. You're throwing a party for him? See, the party is the problem. I was at a party like that one time. There was a young man in our church. He was older than me. I was a young, young teenager, but there was a young man in our church who was 
uh, driving car and he fell asleep while driving and he crossed the center line of the highway and he drove right into a truck and was killed. For the sake of this story, let's call him George. And even though this accident happened very, very far from home, in one of those small world moments, the driver of the truck happened to be a neighbor, and he went to a neighboring church. Most of us knew George, and most of us knew the driver of the truck. Now, the accident wasn't the truck driver's fault at all, at all. But about a year or so after that party, our church held an event, and it was an event that was intended to raise money in George's honor for a cause that George cared about. The driver of the truck came to that event, and he was still struggling. It was hard for him to hold his head up. There was sadness etched in his eyes. My guess is about half of the people who were at that event knew who he was. And I was one of those who knew who he was. I was young, probably late teens. And sitting at a church folding table covered in church paper tablecloth, I leaned in to tell a secret. And everybody leaned in too. And I said, that's him. The guy in the sweater sitting at the end of the table That's the truck driver who killed George. I've often wondered if he spent the whole night feeling a particular kind of shame. If he was wondering how many people knew. If he was wondering how many people are thinking he really shouldn't be here. That's the kind of party we're talking about. I can assure you there were a lot of people leaning in over tables and whispering, should we really be throwing a party for him? Well, I can tell you as a father, the father really doesn't care, does he? This father does not shame his son who came home. This father doesn't spend a whole lot of time looking into the past of his son. This father doesn't care if people are whispering. Because this father doesn't care much about shame. After all, in a day in the not-too-distant father, the father that future, the father that this story is really about, knows that his son will hang naked on a cross. So for this father... Whatever it takes, whatever it takes to get his son home. And here he is in this story. His son is home. Let there be a party. I wonder if that's why Jesus told a story about a father who had a lost son who came home. Now, there are two boys. There's an older son. And in this story, while the party is going on, Jesus tells this story so that the 
oldest son speaks for everybody about this party. I have to tell you that in my life, I'm an older son. When we get to this part of the story, this is the part of the story that's about me. I have worked hard all of my life to be good. And sometimes, sometimes it just frosts my pumpkin that I have to surrender so much of my life and my time and my energy on people who have worked hard all of their life to be stupid. True story. There's a pastor named Ed Rowell who was assigned to a particular church as a pastor. And Ed had this gift of evangelism. And so after he was there, people started coming to his church. New people started coming to Christ and to his church. And for a while, it was really exciting because the numbers started going up. The problem was that many of these people had baggage and they were bringing their baggage. And after a while, the church discovered they were going to have to put cigarette receptacles outside the doors. But even still, there were still butts appearing on the ground by the doors. The church had to start doing particular ministries to get these people to stay sober. So they would show up. Sunday morning and the trash cans were now full of used coffee cups. The carpets started to wear. Chairs got stained. Folding chairs got broken. The church leaders actually started to have discussions they never had to have before, like they're volunteering for Sunday school. Can they really teach Sunday school? Why can't they get to church on time? Can't we stop them from bringing coffee into the sanctuary? And on and on and on. Got pretty nasty. So they actually held a meeting to discuss the new people coming. And Ed, the pastor, took to remind everybody about why we do church in the first place. He told a few stories about people whose lives are being changed, people who are coming to Christ. He was pretty sure Ultimately, they see it his way. In the middle of the meeting, one guy got to his feet. His face was red with anger, and he said this, and I am quoting. Remember that, I'm quoting. He said, see, that's the whole problem right there. I'm sick and tired of these damned new people coming in and messing up our church. Ed said it was like all of the oxygen got sucked out of the room, and he was pretty sure that somebody was going to stand up and talk to that man about how unlike Christ that attitude was, and instead the room erupted in applause. See, the problem for those of us who are older sons, the problem is the party. And he says so. Remember what he says to his father? This is so interesting to me. He says, all these years I have slaved for you. When do I get a party? It's interesting to me that the younger son wanted to come home to be a servant. And his father said, no, you're a son. The older son, all of his life, 
thought of himself as a servant, never as a son. And as a father, I notice what the father does. In the story, when the father notices that his, younger, his older son is not in the party, the father goes out the back door to find his oldest son. And he says to him, my dear son, and I love that tender, affectionate phrase from a father to a son, my dear son, you have always been with me. And then with a very broad wave of his hand, he says, everything I have is yours, my dear son. Then the father explains, he says, look, we had to celebrate. Your brother was dead, but is alive again. He was lost, but is found. Son, won't you come in to the party? And interestingly, that's where the story ends. And one more time, the father is waiting. But I know, as a father, I know exactly what this father did. There's a party going inside, so the father goes back inside to the party for his younger son. But I know that he left the back door wide open for his older boy. And I know that that whole night long, as much as the father was enjoying the party inside, I know that that father kept looking at the back door wide open all night long waiting and watching for the moment when his older boy decides to come home too. I wonder if that's why Jesus told a story about a father who had two sons. Let's pray. God, I thank you. Those of us who are dads, I thank you so much for all that we have learned about you by being a father. God, I know that those are, there are some of us who are, who are younger sons and we've rejected you and walked far away. God, I'm so grateful that you're the kind of father who the moment that we decide to come home you crash into us with an embrace and a party. God, I'm also grateful that for those of us who are older sons, you keep the door wide open and you're anxious for us to come home as well too. God, I want to pray for all of us who are listening, those of us who see ourselves as younger sons, those of us who see ourselves as older boys. I pray, God, that we will see in you a father who wants nothing more than to see his children come home. And I pray that we will. So God, thanks for this day. Thanks for the day that we have to celebrate and remember our dads. I thank you, God, for our dads. I thank you that ultimately, you're our best father, always. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about Horizon Church, please go to the website at horizonconnect.org. Have a great week.